0: All right, before we get into the next section of our study uh, of Ezekiel's temple or the Millennial Kingdom temple, we're going to deal with why the Zadokites will be able to serve before the Lord in this temple and the Levites will only be able to serve before the people. If you remember, and I'm going to kind of show you this from our passages, we're going to start in Ezekiel chapter 40 tonight. Ezekiel chapter 40 verses 44 through 46. As you're about to see, God clearly says over and over, that in the millennial kingdom, that the descendants of Zadok are going to be able to serve before him in the millennial temple, but the rest of the descendants of Levi, because the descendants of Zadok also were descendants of Levi, but the rest of the descendants of Levi won't be able to serve before him. They'll serve only before the people. So let's see what it says here. Ezekiel chapter 40, verses 44 through 46. All right, It says, on the outside of the inner gateway, there were two chambers in the inner court, one at the side of the north gate facing south, and the other at the side of the south gate facing north. And he said to me, This chamber that faces south is for the priests who have charge of the temple, and the chamber that faces north is for the priests who have charge of the altar. These are the sons of Zadok, who alone among the sons of Levi may come near to the Lord to minister to him. All right? Go over to chapter 43. Chapter 43, and look at verses... Uh, 18, and 19. And he said to me, Son of man, thus says the Lord God, these are the ordinances for the altar. On the day when it is erected for offering burnt offerings upon it and for throwing blood against it, you shall give to the Levitical priests of the family of Zadok who draw near to me to minister to me, declares the Lord God, a bull from the herd for a sin offering. Again, he clarifies, if they're going to come before me, they only can be of the descendants of Zadok. Go to Ezekiel chapter 44, look at verses 10 through 16. Ezekiel 44 verse 10, "...but the Levites who went far from me, going astray from me after their idols, when Israel went astray, shall bear their punishment. They shall be ministers in my sanctuary, having oversight at the gates of the temple and ministering in the temple." They shall slaughter the burnt offering and the sacrifice for the people, and they shall stand before the people to minister to them, because they ministered to them before their idols and became a stumbling block of iniquity to the house of Israel. Therefore I have sworn concerning them, declares the Lord God, and they shall bear their punishment. They shall not come near to me to serve me as a priest, nor come near any of my holy things and the things that are most holy, but they shall bear their shame and the abominations that they have committed. Yet I will appoint them to keep charge of the temple, to do all its service and all that is to be done in it. But the Levitical priests, the sons of Zadok, who kept the charge of my sanctuary, when the people of Israel went astray from me, shall come near to me to minister to me, and they shall stand before me to offer the fat and the blood, and declares the Lord God. They shall enter my sanctuary, and they shall approach my table to minister to me, and they shall keep my charge. So again... All the descendants of Levi, remember that's where the priestly line came from, they're all going to serve in the temple, the millennial kingdom, but only the descendants of Levi who came from the lineage of Zadok are going to be able to serve before the Lord. The rest of the priests will just serve before the people. We have a little more information now as to why, from what we just read, why does God separate, why the Zadokites, if you will, and the, the rest of the Levites are separated, why the Zadokites can serve before him but the others cannot, according to the passage that we just read. They, okay, they went astray, and actually, he clarifies how they went astray. Remember how the temple had become defiled, and they were worshiping, and we looked earlier in our study of Ezekiel, how they were worshiping all these other gods in the temple and all that, and these priests were actually offering sacrifices to these other gods there at the temple. But the descendants of Zadok didn't do that, but the rest of the Levites did. And God says, I remember what you did, Therefore, because of what you've done in the millennial kingdom, you Levites that offered sacrifices, your descendants won't be able to come before me, but because the Zedekites didn't, they'll be able to come before me. Go to Ezekiel chapter 48, verse 11. Again, as when we get to that chapter and dealing with the portions that are going to be of the land and where it's all going to be divided and who's going to get what, it says, this shall be for the consecrated priests, the sons of Zadok, who kept my charge, who did not go astray when the people of Israel went astray as the Levites did. All right? So, we can see that God remembers what the Levites did in the past and what the Levites who descended from Zadok did as well, but there's actually a whole lot more to this than just what we see in this short section of Ezekiel. Go back with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 6. I'm going to kind of walk you through a historical background of all that's going to be going on in the millennial kingdom and as to how some of the things, what were some of the things were that happened, that God paid attention to, and we're going to kind of lay this foundation all out because there's something for us today. It's not just, well, now we've learned about the Zedekites and the, and the rest of the Levites. No, there's something here for us, so stick with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, sorry, not Corinthians, did I say Corinthians? Chronicles. 1 Chronicles chapter 6, look at verses 1 through 10. It says, the sons of Levi, there's Gershon, there's Kohath, and there's Merari. The sons of Kohath are Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and Uzziel. The children of Amram are Aaron, Moses, and Miriam. The sons of Aaron are Nadab and Abihu, Eliezer and Ithamar. Eliezer fathered Phinehas. That's an important name that's going to come up later. Phineas fathered Ab- Abishua. Abishua fathered Buki. Buki fathered Uzi. Uzi fathered Zariah. Zariah fathered Marioth. And Marioth fathered Amariah. Amariah fathered Ahitub, and Ahitub fathered Zadok. All right, then it goes on and lists Zadok fathered Him has fathered Azariah, Azariah fathered Johanan, and Johanan fathered Azariah, as it was he who served as priest in the house that Solomon built in Jerusalem. All right, so stick with me now, all right? The sons of, too late, right? The sons of Levi, this is where, remember, the, the sons of Levi, the descendants of Levi are the ones who are going to serve in the temple as priests, God said. Levi gave birth to Kohath. He gave birth to more than just Kohath, but he gave birth to Gershon and Kohath and Merari. But then it lists the descendants of Kohath. And the descendant of Kohath, one of his descendants is Amram. Amram, then it lists there his descendants, and his descendant is Aaron. We all know who Aaron is, right? That's Moses' brother, and Miriam as it listed. But then Aaron had sons, and his sons were Nadab and Abihu. By the way, they're going to come up later on. But he also had Eliezer and Ithamar. And then Eliezer fathered Phineas. Phineas is going to be a very key figure later on. And if you then follow the lineage of Phineas, you get to Zadok, who served in the temple with Solomon and with David. That's very important. Okay? So all of these people are all Levites because they came from Levi. But as they came from Levi and the family tree branched out, there's a branch that leads to Zadok. And his descendants from there on are the ones who are going to serve in the Millennial Kingdom. By the way, God knows. People are like, how is God going to know which ones are descendants of Zadok? And which? Hey, folks, you've already heard me say this before. We even can now, through DNA testing, find out where your lineage is and where you come from. Don't you think God knows? He knows who the descendant of who is and all that kind of stuff. And only the descendants of Zadok in the millennial kingdom are going to be able to serve before the Lord in the holy place and the holy of holies. The other priests, all still Levites, they're going to be able to serve, but they'll only serve before the people. All right. Now. Phinehas was promised by God that his descendants would always serve before him because of his holy zeal. Let me take you to an interesting story. Go to Numbers chapter 25, an episode in the life and the history of the nation of Israel. Numbers chapter 25, look at verses 1 through 13. It says While Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab, they began worshiping their gods. And they also began to intermarry with them the way God had told them not to because He was keeping the nation of Israel separate for His purposes. He said, They began to whore with the daughters of Moab, and these invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked himself to Baal of Peor, the false god, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, Take all the chiefs of the people and hang them in the sun before the Lord, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. And Moses said to the judges of Israel, Each of you kill those of his men who have yoked themselves to Baal of Peor. And behold, one of the people of Israel came and brought a Midianite woman to his family in the sight of Moses and in the sight of the whole congregation of the people of Israel, while they were weeping in the entrance of the tent of the meeting. When Phinehas, the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose and left the congregation, took a spear in his hand, and went after the man of Israel into the chamber and pierced both of them. In other words, this man takes this woman, a Midianite woman, and he takes her to be his wife. And while this stuff is all going on and God's judging Israel because of their sin with this, with this other nation, this guy has the nerve to go in and take this woman into his bedchamber right in front of them all. Phineas goes and grabs a spear, goes into the chamber and pierced both of them, the man of Israel and the woman, through her belly. In other words, I think they were connected at the time. And he stabbed them both straight through. All right? Thus the plague on the people of Israel was stopped. Nevertheless, those who died by the plague were 24,000. And the Lord said to Moses, Phinehas, the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron the priest, has turned back my wrath from the people of Israel, in that he was jealous with my jealousy among them, so that I did not consume the people of Israel in my jealousy. Therefore, behold, I give to him my covenant of peace, all right? And it shall be to him and to his descendants after him the covenant of a perpetual priesthood because he was jealous for his God and made atonement for the people of Israel. God says, I'm paying attention, and because he was jealous and zealous for God's holiness and he did what he did, I'm going to make, him a, co- make a covenant of peace with him and his descendants. His descendants will always be able to serve before me. By the way, who's a descendant of Phinehas we already saw? Zadok. Zadok. And as you know, we already read tonight in Ezekiel that when the nation of Israel in the temple of God was worshiping other gods and the priests were leading out in it, the Zadokites did not do that and God paid attention. Oh, but there's more. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 2. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, look at verses 27 through 36. Now, to kind of catch you up to speed with where we are. Samuel, as you know, is is the prophet who was actually a child of Hannah who wanted to have a baby and she never could. And then God promised, she said, Lord, if you give me a child, I'll give him to you and dedicate him to you. God opened her womb. She gave birth to Samuel and she then took him and dedicated him to the Lord and let him serve in the temple under Eli. All right. Eli had two sons. All right. And uh, these two sons were wicked. All right. And they were actually not doing a good job of being priests. Eli was a priest, and his sons were priests, but they weren't doing a really good job. They were actually, I'm just going to be straight up with it, the scripture teaches us, they're having sex with the women who are coming to the temple. They were, instead of doing what the instructions were on what was going to be theirs when the people came to to give their offering to God and what was to go to God's, they were taking the best for themselves and then offering the rest to God. There was a lot of wickedness going on. Eli knew it, but he didn't do anything about it. And verse 27, and there came a man of God to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt and subject to the house in and subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him, this is Levi, out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel therefore the lord the god of israel declares i promise that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever but now the lord declares far be it from me for those who far be it from me for those who honor me i will honor and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house so that there will not be an old man in your house. In other words, all your children are going to die young. Then in distress, you will look with envious eyes on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel. And there shall not be an old man in your house forever. The only one of you whom I shall not cut off from my altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out, to grieve his heart. And all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men." And this that shall come upon, and this is that shall come upon your two sons, two sons, Hophni and Phineas, shall be the sign. This is a different Phineas, not the one that was earlier. And Hophni and Phineas shall be the sign to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house, and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. This is the promise about Zadok's line. Look at it again. Verse 35, And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind, and I will build him a sure house, and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. And everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread, and shall say, Please put me in one of the priest's places that I may eat a morsel Of bread. That's going to be important later on. You're going to see. You saw on your piece of paper that we passed out the last couple of weeks with the picture of the millennial temple. There's going to be chambers for the priests. You're going to see that later on. That's where they're going to eat and they're going to be taken care of. And here God says to Eli, I'm going to keep my promise to Levi that his descendants will be before me, but I'm actually not going to let any of Levi's descendants go before me except this one line because of the wickedness that has gone on. And the other priests are going to be coming to those priests and saying, let me have some of the food. Let me have some of the food. Please put me in one of these priest places that I might eat a morsel of bread. Go with me to 2 Samuel now and look at chapter 15. Now we're gonna see Zadok come on the scene. 2 Samuel chapter 15, verses 24 through 29. It says, and Abiathar came up, he's also a priest, And behold, Zadok came also with all the Levites, bearing the Ark of the Covenant of God, and they set down the Ark of God until the people had all passed out of the city. Now this is when David is running from his son, and the priests are carrying the Ark out of the city as well. Then the king said, this is David, said to Zadok, carry the Ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he'll bring me back and let me see both it and his dwelling place. But if he says, I have no pleasure in you, behold, here I am, let him do to me what seems good to him. The king, this is David, also said to Zadok the priest, Are oh, you not a seer? Go back to the city in peace with your two sons. Emma has your son and Jahonath, Jonathan the son of Biathar. See, I will wait at the fords of the wilderness until the word comes fo- from you to, me- to inform me. So Zadok and Abiathar carried the ark of God back to Jerusalem and they remained there. So now Z- Zadok is a priest before the Lord and he's also serving at the time of David. When David's running from his son Absalom, uh, he is leaving the city just not to have a war with his son. And Zadok and Abiathar come carrying the ark when he's leaving, and he says, no, take the ark back to the, to, the, to the city, put it back where it was, and hopefully I'll get to come back to the city one day, and as God informs you, you come get word to me. It sounds like Abiathar and Zadok are two pretty good guys, right? Oh, that's why we're going to keep reading the Bible. Go to 1 Kings chapter 1. Go to 1 Kings chapter 1. Look at verses 28 through 40. Then King David answered, Call Bathsheba to me. And she came into the king's presence and stood before the king. And the king swore, saying, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my soul out of every adversity. David's been allowed to come back to the city now at this point. As I swore to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, saying, Solomon, your son, shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne in my place. Even so will I do this day. Then Bathsheba bowed with her face to the ground and paid homage to the king and said, May my lord, King David, live forever. King David said, Call to me Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada. So they came before the king, and the king said to them, Take with you the servants of your lord, and have Solomon my son ride on my own mule, and bring him down to Gihon, and let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet there anoint him king over Israel. Then blow the trumpet and say, Long live live king Solomon. You shall then come up after him, and he shall come and sit on my throne, for he shall be king in my place. And I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel and over Judah." And Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, answered the king, Amen. May the Lord, the God of my lord, the king, say so. And as the Lord has been with my lord, the king, even so may he be with Solomon and make his throne greater than the throne of my lord, King David. So Zadok, the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and the Cherithites and the Pelethites went down and had Solomon ride on King David's mule and brought him to Gihon. There Zadok, the priest, took the horn of oil from the tent and anointed Solomon. And then they blew the trumpet, and all the people said, Long live King Solomon. And all the people went up after him, playing on pipes and rejoicing with great joy, so that the earth was split by their noise." All right. Now jump over to 1 Kings chapter 2 and look at verses 13 through 35. Then Adonijah, the son of Haggith, came to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, and she said, 'Do, Do you come peacefully? And he said, Peacefully. Then he said, I have something to say to you. She said, speak. He said, you know that the kingdom was mine. This is Adonijah was one of David's sons. Solomon also another one of his sons. He said, you know, the kingdom was mine and that all Israel fully expected me to reign. However, the kingdom has turned about and become my brothers, for it was his from the Lord. And now I have one request to make of you. Do not refuse me. She said to him, speak. And he said, please ask King Solomon. He won't refuse you to give me Abishag the Shunammite as my wife. Bathsheba said, very well, I'll speak for, for you to the king. So Bathsheba went to King Solomon to speak to him on behalf of Adonijah, and the king rose to meet her and bowed down to her. Then he sat on his throne and had a seat brought before the king's mother, and she sat on his right. Then she said, I have one small request to make of you. Do not refuse me. The king said to her, make your request, my mother, for I will not refuse you. She said, Let Abishag, the Shunammite, be given to Adonijah, your brother, as his wife. King Solomon answered his mother, And why do you ask Abishag, the Shunammite, for Adonijah? Ask for him the kingdom also, for he is my older brother, and on his side are Abiathar, the priest, and Joab, the son of Zariah. Then King Solomon swore by the Lord, saying, Go, do so to me and more also, if this word does not cost Adonijah his life. Now therefore, as the Lord lives, who has established me and placed me on the throne of of David, my father, and who has made me a house, as he promised, Adonijah shall be put to death today. So King Solomon sent Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and he struck him down and he died. And to Abiathar, the priest, the king said, go to Anatoth, to your estate, for you deserve death. But I will not at this time put you to death, because you carried the ark of the Lord God before David, my father, and because you shared in all my father's affliction. So Solomon expelled Abiathar from being priest to the Lord, thus fulfilling the word of the Lord that he had spoken concerning the house of Eli in Shiloh. Remember that? When the news came to Joab, for Joab had supported Adonijah, though, although he had not supported Absalom, Joab fled to the tent of the Lord and caught hold of the horns of the altar. And when it was told, King Solomon, Joab has fled to the tent of the Lord, and behold, he is beside the altar. Solomon sent Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, saying, Go strike him down. So Benaiah came to the tent of the Lord and said to him, The king commands, Come out. But he said, No, I will die here. Then Maniah brought the king word again, saying, Thus said Joab, and thus he answered. The king replied to him, Do as he has said, Strike him down and bury him, and take away from me and my father's house the guilt for the blood that Joab shed without cause. The Lord will bring back his bloody deeds on his own head, because without knowledge of my father David he attacked and killed with sword two men more righteous and better than himself. Abner, the son of Ner, and commander of the army of Israel, and Amasa, the son of Jether, the commander of the army of Judah. So shall their blood come back on the head of Joab and on the head of his descendants forever. But for David and his descendants and for his house and his throne, there shall be peace from the Lord forevermore. Then Beniah the son of Jehoiah, went up and struck him down and put him to death, and he was buried in his own house in the wilderness. The king put Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, over the army in place of Joab, and the king put Zadok, the priest, in the place of Abiathar. There's a whole lot of crazy stuff going on, wasn't it? You say, okay, Jim, why in the world are you reading all this stuff to us? Well, you gotta keep in mind. God has been, yeah, there'll be a test. No. God has been paying close attention to what has been going on all through. And God actually, it's crazy hard for us to understand, He already knows how it's all gonna even play out. And so He actually told Phineas when he did what he did, because of your holy zeal. Because when I was saying, look, this needs to be dealt with. This is sin. And everybody else is ignoring it. Judgment's going to come on the nation of Israel because of it. And Phinehas says, I'm not waiting anymore for people to, well, let's vote on it, whether or not we think we should deal with this. He went and dealt with it because God said to, and God said, because of that, I'm going to make sure that your descendants always serve before me. Eli, though, wasn't dealing with this wickedness of, his, of the sin in his household and his sons were doing what he was doing. And God says, I'm not going to let your descendants serve before me because of this. And as we see, it all played out. And during the time of the nation of Israel, which we've been studying about in the time of Ezekiel and Jeremiah, when God judged the nation because of their wickedness, that it just continued to ramp up and ramp up to the point that after, as you know, after Solomon, the, na- the nation of Israel split into two parts, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, and the wickedness just increased, and he carried the northern kingdom off into captivity, but the southern kingdom didn't pay attention, and then he deals with the southern kingdom and takes them into captivity during the time of Ezekiel. But during all that time when the wickedness in Israel was going on, the descendants of Zadok, who were the descendants of Phinehas, kept honor before the Lord when all the other priests didn't. And God says when he comes back to this earth and sets up his kingdom again on the earth and he sets up the millennial kingdom, when the priests serve before him, only the descendants of Zadok are going to be able to serve before him. Oh, the other priests, the other Levites will be able to serve, but they're going to serve before the people. They won't have the privilege of being in his presence to walk into the holy place and to serve before him. Now, what can we learn from this? I hope someone has seen it. How we live in this life will have an effect on our reward and our responsibilities in the future kingdom. A lot of people, they lose sight. They say, I'm just glad I'm going to heaven. I don't think you realize, first off, before we get to heaven, heaven, remember the new heaven and the new earth, there's going to be a thousand years on this earth. And how we live in this life has an effect on what our responsibilities will be, what our privileges will be. Whether or not we get to enjoy certain privileges or not enjoy certain privileges, you already saw this. The descendants of Levi aren't all going to be able to go into the presence of Jesus. Only the descendants of Zadok. And so I want to show you from the New Testament that all of us today should be realizing that how we live now, God's paying attention. Have our sins been forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ? Yes, we're eternally secure and we're going to go to heaven and be with him forever. But at the same time, the Bible teaches that many Christians are going to miss out for eternity on much that they could have experienced, many blessings of the Lord, because they didn't take seriously their time on this earth. And I want you to see it from God's word. Go to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, look at verses 11 through 27. It says, As they heard these things, he, Jesus, began, proceeded to tell a parable, because he was near to Jerusalem, because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return to Jerusalem. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, Engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We don't want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in in very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. Now we could go on, if you want, and take a look at the rest of the story. Then another came saying, Lord, here's your mina, which I kept and laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you, because you're a server, a severe man, sorry. And you take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. And so God said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I didn't sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has the ten minas. They said to him, Lord, he's ten has ten minas. And I tell you that everyone who has, more will be given to him. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But for those enemies of mine who didn't want me to reign over them, Bring them here and slaughter them before me. When Jesus comes back, there's going to be a reckoning over what they were doing with the responsibilities they were given between when he was sent off to receive the kingdom and when he comes back. For us as the church, there's going to be a reckoning. I don't know how many of you know it. But the Bible teaches very clearly that when he raptures the church and we go to be with him, we're then going to experience what the Bible calls the judgment seat of Christ or the Bema seat. Well, don't just take my word for it. Go with me to um, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. And each one, each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will be manifest. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burnt up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So here Jesus is telling us that there's going to be a day in which what we do here on, on this earth, after salvation, is going to be judged and measured by God. If it survives the test, you'll be rewarded for it. If not, you will go into heaven, but you're going to suffer loss. It's obvious that during the millennial kingdom, God's going to say, hey, these people are going to have this privilege. These people aren't going to have that privilege. I think the Bible teaches that there's going to be levels of reward in heaven and levels of punishment in hell. I won't take the time to go in to lay this all out for you because we don't have time for the much we need to cover. But the Bible talks about that even in hell, even though hell is eternal, there's levels of punishment in hell. Some people are going to be punished more than others for eternity according to what they've done. That's why everything's written down. Everything's recorded in the books. And for those of us who have been given salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, there's still going to be a reckoning. It's going to be the judgment seat of Christ. And one day, well, don't just take my word for it. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We'll start in verse 6. So we're always of good courage. We know that while we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we're of good courage, and we'd rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. That word evil could be better translated worthless. Is God going to judge you or or not you get into heaven by how good you've been? Hopefully you know the answer to that question is no. We're in heaven by the grace of God. None of us can be good enough to get into heaven. That's a gift that's given to us. But once he saves us, the Bible says that not only does he put his spirit within us to seal us, with the spirit comes spiritual gifts. And with those spiritual gifts comes responsibility. He didn't give you a spiritual gift so that you could just bury it. Wrap it in the cloth like that man did in the story that we read. And when the master comes back, he says, Okay, I gave you this gift. What'd you do with it? Well, I didn't do anything with it. Do you really want to hear that? Do you really want to be able to hear God say, What'd you do? Or do you want to hear him say, You did good? Folks, that's why I want you to take serious the salvation that we've been given. It's not, hey, I'm going to heaven. Thank the Lord. No, the Bible says there's going to be a day of reckoning for believers as well, the judgment seat of Christ. And we're all going to be judged whether or not what we've done is worthless or whether it has value, an eternal value. Oh, and well, how do we know? Because God's measuring your heart why you do it. Don't worry about the measuring, well, so-and-so has preached to thousands and so-and-so has only preached to 50. No, no, no. He's not going to measure that. He's going to measure your heart. Because if you did it with the right heart, you'll be rewarded for it. He gave one five in the parable of the talents, another two, and another one. Listen closely. Each according to their ability. God doesn't expect us all to do the same amount. Stop listening to the preacher that said you should have all been at church work day. No, you shouldn't have all been at church work day. Only those who are gifted to work that way and to have a call of God on them, that's where you should be. You should not all be in the nursery, including me. You wouldn't want me working in the nursery with your kid. But what do we hear in our churches? If you have a child, you should take your turn. And No. The Bible actually says we all have different roles, different responsibilities. But let me ask you something. Are you at least doing what God's gifted you to do? We say, well, Jim, how do I know what my gift is? Let me save you some time. Don't waste your time taking those spiritual gift tests. Because honestly, depending on what mood you're in, you can pass it or fail it. Or, but listen closely, you know how you find out what your gift is? You get involved in the life of the church. You get plugged into a group of believers, you meet regularly with them, you study the Bible with them, you fellowship with them, and your gift will come out. If you're a mercy person, or a service helps person, or a beside the scenes person, or someone that wants to lead, your gifts will come out. It'll be obvious how God's gifted you. Some of you are gifted to support ministry through financial, and he's blessed you that way. Exercise your gift. Uh, well, go to Romans chapter 3. I'm going down a whole different road than I planned in my notes, but we'll, we'll get there. We'll finish Ezekiel sometime before Jesus comes back, maybe. All right? Go to Romans chapter 3, and I'm going to have to write all these scriptures down in my notes so that tomorrow night they get the same thing and stay with you. In Romans chapter 3, Actually, go to chapter 12, verse 3. Romans chapter 12, verse 3. Listen to what Paul says here. He says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we all have different parts, and the parts don't all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually we're parts one of another. By the way, some of you are saying, Jim, you keep reading parts instead of members. That, I think that helps you understand it, because when we hear member, we hear church member, and I don't even want to go down that road about church membership, all right? <laughs> all right? We're different parts one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If it's prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If it's service, in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching. The one who exhorts or encourages in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. In other words, whatever it is that how God's wired you, do it. And don't worry about whether or not anybody else is joining you. Don't worry about whether or not everybody's paying attention. I could take time right now and just, I want, part of me wants to encourage so many of you because I've seen you doing it. Ken, you're one of those exhortation people. You love to come alongside of people and encourage them in whatever way you can encourage them, even if it's taking them fishing or whatever it is. Keep doing it. And don't worry about all the other stuff that the church says you're supposed to be doing. You exercise the gift you've been given. Earl, today was so cool. We got to see God do some cool stuff just because you invited your neighbor. And he showed up. And God's at work. Keep it up. Keep it up. I could go on and on. Some of you have been called by God To be an influence in the lives of your children and your grandchildren. Those are souls, folks. We keep thinking that if we go across the world, then we'll be blessed. Oh, there'll be reward for that. I'm going to show you that in a second. But at the same time, isn't God going to ask you about how you did with the one you put in your house first? Go to Matthew chapter 19. I don't want you to miss as we sit and wrestle over the Zadokites and the the Levites or different roles in the millennial kingdom, that it's showing us something really important. That what we do in this life has an effect on our eternity in one way or another. Matthew chapter 19, look at verses 23 through 30. Jesus says to his disciples, Truly I say to you, Only with difficulty will the rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? I love Peter. He just said... If it's hard for a rich person to get into heaven, we must be first in line because we got nothing. (laughs) Uh, Just in case you missed it, Lord, we've left everything to follow you. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, listen closely, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, that's the millennial kingdom, folks, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones. Judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold. And will inherit eternal life. But many are the first will be last and the last will be first. Folks, let me just say to you. That having been a pastor for over 20 years and now for the last 12 years traveling the country and pastoring and shepherding many churches around this country and Christian leaders, one of the greatest evidences that the church doesn't understand this truth is how we're living. We're more interested in how it affects us today. Don't we fight over music because of what we want in our preferences? We're living for here, not for them. We spend most of our time in our churches fighting over what people want now instead of being more concerned with what's going to go on and carry on into eternity and being a part of that. Folks, I'm going to challenge you and ask you to lay down your desire to have things go in this life the way you want and be willing to say, Lord, do with me however you wish the church tried to talk Paul out of going into Jerusalem because they said, don't you realize they're going to attack you and they're going to kill you there? And he said, listen, I don't know the specifics of what's going to happen when I get to Jerusalem, but I know this. The Holy Spirit has warned me that everywhere I go, I'm going to experience hardship and imprisonment and beatings. But I'm going to keep going because that's the life that God has set aside for me. I want to finish the race that he has for me. And what did he say at the end of his life in 2 Timothy chapter 4? I finished the race. I fought the fight. I know there is a crown laid up for me. But not only for me, but also for all who long for his appearing. Go to Matthew chapter 6. You're in chapter 19. Just back up to chapter 6. Look at verses 19 through 20. Jesus says, don't lay up for yourself treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let me ask you a question, and I want to show my hands here, but I don't want you perjuring yourself. So only raise your hand if you mean it. How many of you would love, you wish you had a heart for the Lord, then put your treasure, the things you treasure, into things of God. Because when you put your treasure into things of God, your heart will follow what you treasure. Some of you might own stock in General Motors or AT&T or some other company. You probably get up in the morning and check the paper to see how the stock's doing, don't you? Why? You've given some of your treasure to that company and your heart has now, you actually pray for that company probably. (laughs) You want to have your heart follow to things of God? You put your treasure and your time and your energy toward things of God. I promise you, when you do, that your heart will follow. Jesus said so and he's watching, and we don't realize it because very few of us have had much taught on heaven or the millennial kingdom or what is to come. Very few Christians realize that how we live now will have an effect on your eternity. I don't have time to get into it, but I could take you to show you passages where how when Paul's dealing with our heavenly bodies and what they're going to be like in 1 Corinthians 15, and he's wrestling with the question of what are our new bodies going to be like? he makes an interesting comment about how one star differs from another star in glory. There's a chance that for eternity, some are going to have more glory than others. I don't know how it all plays out, but let me tell you this much. The longer I live, the longer I walk with the Lord the less and less the things of this world mean to me. And the more and more I'm interested in what's to come. And therefore, I keep sending it on ahead. I want you to do the same. Find out how he's wired you. Find out how he's gifted you. And just have fun doing it. Have fun doing it. And one day, when he comes and gets us, we all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, he's going to say, Well done. Well done. Now, I have to decide what we're going to do next. (laughs) Go 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 to Ezekiel chapter 41. We are in Ezekiel, I think. Ezekiel 41. Go to verses 1 through 26. Here's what we're going to do. I'm not going to read to you this whole chapter. You're able to read it. I'm just going to pull out a couple of things from this chapter and move on. I would waste too much time reading the whole chapter to you. I've tried to read every chapter and then just break it down. But these two chapters, 41 and 42, if you take the time to read them, you'll find that they are just simply, exquisitely detailed measurements of the... Chapter 41 is measurements of the inner sanctuary, the holy place in the holy of holies where Jesus is going to be. So we're not going to stay here very long because this chapter is mostly specific measurements of the inner temple. In Ezekiel's vision, though the sanctuary is called the nave. You want to write that down. When you read nave, it's talking about the sanctuary, the intersection of the of the temple. If you were to take a careful study of 1 Kings chapter six and chapter seven, you would see the difference. If you were to compare chapter 41 with 1 Kings chapter six and chapter seven, you'll see the difference between the. Temple of Solomon and the one in the Millennial Kingdom, but we're not going to take the time to do all that. It was never my intention in my notes anyway, but some of you engineer types love to see, well, how thick was that wall and how tall was this thing? and it, Have fun. Sit down. Break it down. Pull out your slide rule. Get your graph paper out. Have a good time. The rest of us want to enjoy life. So <laughs> the, uh, you're going to see that there are cherubs that are carved into the walls of the temple along. But they only have two faces. Do you remember our study earlier in Ezekiel? Back, I think it was 2001 when we started. But do you remember in chapter, chapter 1, verses 4 through 10, that he saw the cherubim? And they all had how many faces? They had four faces. There was the face of the human, or the lion, or the ox, or the eagle. As you read in chapter 41, there's going to be cherubs that are carved into the walls all around. And they're going to be separated by palm trees. And the cherub is going to have one face that faces this palm tree and another face that faces that palm tree. But they're only going to have two faces. One face will be the human and the other face will be the lion. Again, as I tell you, whenever I'm speculating, I'm going to tell you it's speculation. Speculation. But there's a possibility that those cherubs that are only showing the face of the human and the face of the lion are showing the humanity and the kingship, representing the humanity and the kingship of Jesus. Because that's who's going to be living there in that part of the temple. It's going to be Jesus himself. But I don't know, and again, we'll find out. Chapter 42, verses 1 through 20. I'm not going to read it to you. By the way, is that the fastest I've ever been through a chapter? But now we're in chapter 42. We're going to go verses 1 through 20. I'm not going to read it to you again. Let me pull some things out, though, from it. Once again, we're not going to spend too much time in this chapter, but simply going to point out a few things. They're going to be in chapter 42, verses 13 and 14. Let me read that to you. Then he said to me, the north chambers and the south chambers opposite the yard are the holy chambers, where the priests who approach the Lord shall eat the most holy offerings. There they shall put the most holy offerings, the grain offering, the sin offering, and the guilt offering. For the place is holy. When the priests enter the holy place, they shall not go out of it into the outer court without laying their garments in which they minister, for these are holy. They shall put on other garments before they go near that which is for the people. By the way, um, which priests are the ones that are going to be going into the holy place? Descendants of Zadok. Very good. Uh, I'm not going to read all these passages to you, but I'm going to quickly hit some. This is the chamber where they're going to eat the holy offerings and keep some of the offerings. This is how God takes care of the Levites. Remember, as you're going to see, or if you don't remember, and we're definitely going to see it later in our study of Ezekiel, in the Millennial Kingdom, God's going to redistribute the land for all the 12 tribes of Israel. And by the way, when we do that study, it's really interesting and really cool because where he gave all the land to the 12 tribes of Israel, when the nation of Israel went into the promised land the first time in the book of Joshua, it's going to be totally different during the millennial kingdom. Again, further evidence that this is actually going to happen, but he actually lays out where each tribe gets their land and they get to have that as their inheritance. But the Levites never got any land. Their inheritance, where they get their food, where they get their provision, came from what? Came from the Lord through the people bringing their offerings before the Lord. Some of it was to go before the Lord and be burnt, Others were to be taken by the priest and to be eaten. And that's how God takes care of them. That's actually how God takes care of us preachers today. You know, and the fact that he actually has people support, like we talked about with Jeff and Julie, how they're going to raise support. If God lays it on your heart to give them a monthly stipend or whatever, that's how God will take care of them as they go and serve him by being missionaries. That's how just a preacher works. But God has set it aside that the Levites are going to, actually be taken care of in this way, and, I, and I've actually decided that I'm not going to read these to you. We're, next week, we're going to break them down in more detail. I don't want to rush through this part and show you because there's some amazing things that in, the destruct, in the instructions, I've said destructions, in the instructions of God's instructions for the Levites and how, the, how they're to do the offerings and what was to be theirs. There's comes cool things that we really need to see. What I want to do tonight, though, is this. I want us to close with Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14, and then verses 19 through 22. Because Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 14. As you will see when we do that study next week, the instructions for the Levites and how they're to do the offerings are very, very specific. You have to wear this garment to do this, and you have to offer the sacrifice in this way, and you only can do it on this day and in this manner. And it's very, very detailed. And when I began to study it and break it down, the thing that kept coming over and over to me as I read it was this. Thank God for Jesus. (laughs) Thank God that we're not under the law, but under grace. Thank God that I don't have to follow these rules and regulations in order to be right, that I am Made holy. Listen to Hebrews chapter 10 again, verse 14. For by a single offering, he, Jesus, has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. That's us. Verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus and by the new and living way that he has opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. And our bodies washed with pure water. Oh, but then he goes on and says, And let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who is promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. In other words, he doesn't just say, thank God we're able to go into the presence of God because of the blood of Jesus. He then says, hey, since we have this confidence to go in before the presence of God, and we have this confidence that we've been washed clean, what are we to do? We're to relax and thank the Lord that we're saved, but then we're also to come alongside of our other brothers on a regular basis and encourage them to do what? It says so here. What did it say? Good works. I think that's what my whole lesson was on tonight, wasn't it? I want to encourage you. Get doing what God's gifted you to do. Get involved. However he's gifted you. And enjoy it. Go to 1 Peter chapter 2. Look at verse 1, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And as you come to him, Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles in this world to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of his visitation. Has anybody seen it yet? Every time that you see an opportunity that God, through one of the writers of the scripture, talks to us about this awesome salvation that we've been given, it leads into, now go let the world see it. They're how you live. I don't want you to be, thank God I'm saved, and then not the rest. I want to encourage you. What you do in this life will have an effect on your eternity. Yes, sir. He's in 2.10. Yes, sir. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to good, do good works, which he prepared in advance. Go ahead, Jeff. John 3.21. John 321 it talks about how what we do has been done. They'll know it's been done by God. Are you testing me? Is that what's going on? You guys are testing my scripture knowledge here? Bible quiz. Bible quiz. But no, that's a great passage of scripture. That's a great passage of scripture. When we do the good works, it'll be obvious that it was done by God. Anybody else have a question, comments, not remark? We're about to wrap up. Go for it. Um, the parable of the talents. I actually I sent you a, a message about it. I Bible study. Just back Bible study. The parallel of uh, the one in Matthew and the one that you just read. Right, in Luke. The one in Matthew is cast out into outer darkness. Yes, those are two different stories. They're not the same one. They're very, very similar. But you remember, in, in the Matthew account in chapter 24, in the, uh, the, sorry, chapter 25 in the parable of the talents, he gives one, five talents, another two, and another one. In, in the parable of, of the minas, it's, it's a little bit, they're given minas, which are different. On top of that, the third servant in that one, I think he's illustrating that that third servant never was saved because he was cast into outer darkness. That's not going to happen to a believer. But if we saw in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 today, verses 10 and following, that there are going to be some people who, after the foundation was laid of salvation and faith in Jesus Christ, they didn't build on top of it with anything else. They're going to get to heaven. He'll himself be saved, but he'll suffer loss. So uh, you've heard me jokingly say, it says, he himself will be saved, but only as through the fire. I always picture the high jumper, you know, in the Olympics when the guy that does the the Fosbury flop where he jumps over the bar and and the high jump. Have you ever seen the guy get just barely over the bar and his us hits the bar and the bar jiggles and everybody goes, (gasps) But then the bar stays and he makes it. I've jokingly said that that passage reminds me of the guy that just barely makes it into heaven. You'll know who they are. They're going to smell like smoke. All right? They just made it, but it's by the grace of God. I hope none of you in here smell like smoke. I love you. See you next week.